just uh, thinking of of uh, that hymn and uh, remembering Isaiah chapter six. I think we mentioned um, Isaiah's cry this morning in in uh, the breaking of bread. But Isaiah chapter six, verse one: In the year that King Uzziah died. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Just one thought here. King Uzziah reigned, I don't know if anyone reigned longer. He reigned reigned 52 years. And uh, so after someone reigning that long, and the um, for most of the time he was a good king. At the last he blew it, you know, and... Uh, he died of leprosy. God struck him with leprosy because uh, he had become lifted up in his own heart. But but the stability that, you know, his rule brought then when he's gone, mm -hmm. it must have been a moment of great instability mm -hmm. because now this man that has been there for 52 years mm -hmm. is gone. His son, Jotham, who is a good guy, uh, reigns after him. But, you know, God gives Isaiah this vision when King Uzziah dies. And it's interesting that the vision is the vision of the throne of heaven. Uh, you know, it says that I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. So the throne of Israel was empty. King Uzziah had died. That throne's emptier to be taken by his son Jotham. But, but th there's a throne in heaven. And uh, um, we're reminded in Revelation Five, that John, when he was uh, taken up into heaven, he saw a, he saw the throne of God. It says uh, in chapter five, you don't have to turn to it, but he says, uh, uh, verse two, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one that sat on the throne. So the throne of God is, is established God sits upon the throne no matter what happens in in this world, no matter how it may seem the chaos might, you know, be, still God sits upon the throne and God's throne is fixed. Men, you know, deny his authority. They, they re refuse his authority, deny that God is, deny his throne and rulership over his own creation, deny him as the creator, but nevertheless, God is, and he sits upon the throne. And, and, you know, it's so encouraging because, you know, we live in a, that this was political unrest, 52 years and, and the man's gone. I mean, we live in a time of great political unrest. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's chaotic. It's really chaotic, you know. In fact, you know, at dinner last night, Chris received a, um, a text from his friend that lives in Washington, and and you'll have to verify this, but this is what he told him. He's in education in Washington, and that the Washington um, Senate had uh, had pa legislature had passed a law that if so a counselor or somebody in the in in school was to uh, I'm gonna say diagnose. I don't know what the correct term is, but judge that your child. Uh, was you know needed a gender change, and if the parents didn't agree with that, then the child could be taken from the parents. Now that seems so 
I mean, so weird and strange and far out there, it just seems absolutely impossible, improbable, <laughs> you know, because you wouldn't think you could get that many derelicts all together in one place to agree upon something like that. But in any event, uh, this is the chaotic time that we live in. But, you know, the believer, he can look up and say, well, hallelujah. You know, he sits upon the throne. There's a throne that's fixed in heaven. God sits upon his throne and uh, it's high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. So his glory has filled the temple. Verse 2. And above it, above the throne, stood the seraphims. Now, I mean, this is, you know, Isaiah, the men in the Bible that saw these visions, they saw some awesome things, you know. And uh, he said, the, um, above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. With two, he did fly. And they cried one to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Just like we sang. You know, I doubt they were singing that that hymn, but uh, you know, they're certainly announcing this truth, uh, proclaiming this truth that God is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Yes. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's, it's quite impressive that in Revelation, uh, that uh, fourth chapter where you have um this these angels crying uh it says in verse 8 i'm just going to read it 4 8 and the four beasts had each one of them six wings about him they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying holy 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 lord god almighty which was which is which is to come Amen. they rest not day and night so you know if you've ever been in a muslim country you know, you you know the 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 calls to prayer in the morning and then you know day and at night. You know, it's it's this. They have a recording, and it's uh, you know in, in Arabic, but they're calling people to prayer with whatever you know it is. But it's a recording, and they send it out in you know loud loudspeakers, and, and uh, it's just repetitious. But there is no repetition in heaven. You know, just imagine how great God is in his character of holiness, that these angels from the beginning of their creation, you know, until now and in the future, because Revelation looks to the future, they continually crying, holy, 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 in recognition of God's character. But it's never repetitious. It's always fresh because God's infinite in his holiness. So they can always, if God reveals to them something else about himself, they can break forth and in in, uh, in praise, uh, in fresh praise. But wh whatever it is, it's it's the character of heaven that God is holy and the whole earth is full of his glory. Well, isn't that amazing? The whole earth is full of God's glory, but uh, the people, the inhabitants of the earth can't see it, right? Uh, th that although they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful and their their foolish hearts were darkened. So that when you, when you turn away from the Lord, as you know the world has in the rejection of Christ, then there's a darkness that comes upon the mind and conscience where um, you know you're blinded to to the truth of God around you. And uh, I remember when I got saved. I've mentioned this before. You, know, I was driving, uh, you know, tractor baling hay uh, during the time when I got saved. And uh, I went out uh, one night, you know, we bail hay at night, and I looked up the heavens. It was like I'd never seen the stars before. 
because my life of sin had, you know, dulled my senses and blinded me to the fact that the whole earth is full of his glory. I remember that. Uh, I can see that right now. I mean, you know, I can see the heavens. I remember how impressed I was at that moment. So sin blinds, uh, you know, the heart and mind of people. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. So this is, you know, the, these angels are, are mighty uh, uh, in creation. You remember that angel in Revelation again, chapter 4? And it says, and I saw, uh, I mean, chapter 5, verse 2, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, okay, who is worthy. And it says, no man in heaven nor in earth nor under the earth, was able to open the book and release the seals there. So he's, this, the point is, this angel's crying, and his voice is going out to all the creation. Now, this is a big creation, right? We're beginning to understand it's a lot bigger than what we ever imagined with the Hubble uh, Space Telescope and all. I mean, I mean, we don't want to say it's infinite, because who, who can say? But it's big, 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 big. And here is this angel's voice, this powerful voice of the angel going out saying, who is worthy? There's no one found worthy. Here are these uh, these uh, cherubim right here, or seraphim, I'm sorry, crying out in, in verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, this cry is going out and it shakes the very house, right? I mean, the power uh, of... of uh, of the presence of God as expressed in his in the praises of his creation. And then said, and 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 it's interesting to note, you know, because everything you hear about God is about, you know, is his love. I mean, you learn from a little child, yes, Jesus loves me. You know, I mean, you learn, you know, about God is love. Well, wonderful. We praise the Lord for it. But if you never come to the recognition of his holiness, then you'll never see your sinfulness uh, before him. And it won't. And the fact that Christ died won't have the full uh, impact that it must have uh, in order for us to appreciate what he did on the cross. And and so uh, Isaiah you know, sees the glory of God. He's crying, holy, 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 not love, love, love. He's crying, holy, holy, holy. This is the the the, the aspect of God's character that is emphasized because Israel's in sin. Men are, men are in sin. Uh, the law was given to convict Israel uh, of their sinfulness and all humanity. So verse 5, Isaiah is seeing this, right? And he responds, then said I. Okay, so when when heaven speaks, there's a requirement, there's a responsibility for those that hear God's voice, heaven's voice, to respond. There has to be an answer, and He answers. I mean, it's 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 reflexive because it was true. He says, "Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips." So he didn't say, you know, he didn't start saying, you know what he had done he didn't confess his sins things that he had done you know we we can't remember the things that we've done none of us can remember our sins particularly someone like myself no way I remember my sins but he doesn't confess his sins he confesses what he is if god is holy he is sinful he is unclean if god is pure he's unclean and and so he's confessing uh, what uh, Peter did 
Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. Not only have I sinned, I am a sinful man. And this is the reality. I mean, this should be the reality in some measure of every man that that comes in the presence of God that's confronted with the the gospel message. You remember that that uh, tax collector and he and he beat his breast. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He cried, "Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner." Wouldn't even look up to heaven. I mean, the man was so overcome with with uh, the sense of his own guilt and the conviction of sin that he couldn't even look up to heaven. And he cried out, you know, have mercy on me. And God showed him mercy. And 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 that man was truly saved. See, this is, when people are radically saved, and every salvation is radical because, you know, I mean, you're heading for hell, now you're going to heaven. Praise the Lord, you're a sinner, now you're a saint. But when you see the, the great change in someone's life is when there's deep conviction of sin. When there is deep conviction of sin. That that tax collector had a deep conviction of sin. Pharaoh said, I have sinned. Saul said, I have sinned. Not Saul of Tarsus, but King Saul. Uh, I mean, there's no change in these fellas. You know, Balaam says, I have sinned. I mean, no change in these fellas. But when there's deep conviction of sin, then he says, woe is me. My lips are unclean. Everything that I speak. You remember the leper? He had to cover his lip. He had to cover his mouth as if, you know, everything that came from him in his breath was unclean and defiled. I mean, this is the reality of what a sinner is in God's sight. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Very important. You know, uh, when when people, uh, uh, you're talking to them about the gospel, many times they say, well, everybody's a sinner, right? And they start there. No, no, we're not talking. No, 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 no. We're not talking about everybody else. We're talking about just like Isaiah. He said, I'm unclean. And then he looked out and he saw others were unclean too. When people say, well, everybody's a sinner, they're looking out and 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 refusing to identify themselves personally, individually before God. And uh and, and here's the reason he felt this way. Mine eyes have seen the king. <laughs> Mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You know, when we say he's king of kings and lord of lords when Jesus comes, you know, we can rejoice and praise him because we're on his team. We're on his side, team Jesus. But when the world sees him coming as the king of kings and lord of lords, you know, their eyes will look upon the one that they've pierced and there's going to be great mourning, great sorrow, a great tribulation within the hearts of people and within the world. Then flew immediately. As he makes this confession, this is why it's so important, the conviction of sin, God just waits for that. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me. So first thing for, for in order to be saved, there has to be conviction of sin. In order to have conviction of sin, you have to have some revelation of God. You have to have the light that shines in the darkness of your own heart, which is what the gospel does, that it tells you you're a sinner. Christ died for sinners. There has to be conviction by the Holy Spirit. And then you make confession immediately. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Praise the Lord. I mean, immediately, you know, we see this picture of God responding. You know, just like in the garden. What's the first thing God did when Adam sinned? No, he didn't stuff him out at all. God went looking for him. 
right? I mean, that's the first thing you see. First voice in the garden is, Adam, Adam, where art thou? And, and God's looking for this sinner. And so he's, he's looking for us. He found, you know, uh, hopefully all of us. And if, if, if not, then we need to answer the Lord when he says, where art thou? I have to give an answer because whenever heaven answers, I mean, whenever heaven calls, men are to answer. Men are, you know, and, and Adam's answer was what? Well, you know, he's hiding behind the trees. You know, he's got on fig leaves. You know, God says, who told you you were naked? And I mean, he, he's hiding from God. And not only hiding from God, but he's hiding from the only other person that was there. He's hiding from Eve. Eve's hiding from him. They got fig leaves on, right? And, and maybe that was the sense within them that they're hiding their nakedness from God uh, as well. But in any event, uh, it didn't work. And here, uh, off the altar. So the altar speaks of the sacrifice that was all offered. The, the fire of, of that, uh, those coals speaks of the judgment of God that came upon the sacrifice. The judgment of God that came upon Christ. He's the sacrifice. And so here, this coal, because God is holy and the sacrifice has been accepted. Now his sin is purged. And immediately, this is so wonderful. First he sees the Lord. Then there's conviction of sin. Then there's forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 8, there's a voice of God calling out, Whom shall I send who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? This is beautiful. Then said I, here am I, send me. Now, I mean, this man is not... This man is in the presence of this incredible vision. He hears these seraphim. I mean, this is a scene that is powerful. You know, you would want to run and hide. But this man, because his sins are forgiven, he has confidence in God now. He hears the voice of God and he says, I will go wherever you want me to go. Just like the Apostle Paul or, or Saul of Tarsus when he was saved, Lord, what will you have me to do? This is the only proper response. It's not, you know, okay, I'll start going to church. No, it's I will give you my life. I surrender my life. I will serve thee with all of my life. And so God gives him a message. And, and just for the sake of time, uh, I'll just read verse 9. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed and understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their eyes, their ears heavy, shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears and bear with uh, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted, be healed. So uh, I just wanted to get that verse because we're going to uh, skip over to John chapter 12 and we're going to see that this vision is Jesus. It's a vision of the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 12, we just were, uh, uh, read the words uh, of Isaiah and, and here it's quoted in verse uh, chapter 12, verse 39. Uh, I'll start in... Thirty-seven, John twelve thirty-seven. But though he had done yet so many so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. The miracles were were in order that they would see that he's the Son of God. They must believe in him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom of the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now that's in Isaiah fifty-three. But now we see what we just read, verse. Uh, 39. Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes, hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted that I should heal them. So without getting into all 
uh, uh, unpacking everything here. Here's the point, verse 41. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. He's talking about Jesus, but they did not, because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. You see, uh, this is all about the Lord Jesus, verse 37. Though they had seen so many of the miracles that he had done, they believed not on him, that it might be fulfilled by the prophet Isaiah. And then God's response, because they believed not on him, in verse 38, verse 39, God's judgment is, his governmental judgment, is that he hardens their heart. And actually, they hardened their own hearts, but whatever happens, God is a part of it. And so he hardens their heart. But 41, these things said Isaiah. So when we read Isaiah chapter 6, he saw his glory, the glory of Jehovah. And he spake of him. And who was he speaking of? It's the Lord Jesus. He is Jehovah. He is Jehovah God. And here is, here is uh, uh, his, his glories veiled. It, what Isaiah saw was the glory of God unveiled in, in whatever measure it can be for a, a sinful man to see it. It was in a vision. But here it's veiled. Jesus uh, uh, veiled his glory. And yet still through the miracles he did, the words that he spake, his glory shone forth. His disciples saw his glory in John 1, it says. Uh, um so Isaiah saw his glory. These people saw his glory as well. But just as the people of Israel back then had refused the authority of Jehovah God. So fast forward, you know, a thousand years and you have people unchanged still refusing the uh, God's authority. Fast forward from Christ's time to our time and, and two millenniums and people are still refusing God's glory, still surrounded by his creation, which declares his glory, but because of refusing to believe, their, their foolish hearts are darkened and, and they cannot see. They, they, they cannot hear because, and, and I've got to make this point once again, what this verse tells us, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. It's not when a person decides that they'll receive Christ, that they can receive Christ. No. It's when God gives the invitation. It's when God opens the door. Just like with Noah's Ark. You made a decision after the door was closed. You got a problem, right? So it's, it's God that opens the door. God decides when the day of salvation will be. And when someone refuses, like Israel did of old and they're doing in the day of the Lord, their hearts then are blinded. And so here in the world we live, the gospel message going out all over the world. I mean, uh, continually languages are, are, are being adapted or are, are being, uh, the Bible's being translated into new languages. The Bible's going on into all the world. I mean, whether it be on an audio Bible or a preacher, a missionary, or, you know, something, uh, uh, online ministry, well, how it's going all over the world. And yet there's people, the majority of the people in the world are right here. They don't believe and their hearts Foolish hearts are darkened. And, and just as we said, if it's true what happened in Washington, and we know the things that are going on around us, I mean, these are all just stepping stones. You start with unbelief. You start with unbelief. Because everybody's in sin. You can't be sad. I mean, that's why, you know, Isaiah, you know, 
uh, uh, he was unclean. You start with a sinner, and when the sinner doesn't believe, that's when he just falls off the cliff. That's when when the conscience becomes hard, and and there's no responsiveness to grace and the opportunity for forgiveness, and and uh, there's just no sense of 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 eternal realities. Because God has to reveal that by the Spirit. And He's already knocked, just like He did in the days of Noah. He knocked on the doors of these people's hearts, striving with them. God was striving with them, fighting, you know, to for entrance into their hearts. And they said no. And we live in a world like that. And so what happens next? Judgment. But praise the Lord, it's after His church is taken to glory. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Amen.